Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. My recording rig is working just fine. Also with us, Jed Brewer. I enjoy recording rigs. Joining us all the way from Richard, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's right. You've heard reference to recording rigs. We're all recording this in the back of 18-wheelers flying down the highway. It's a very Smokey and the Bandit-style podcast this week, but we do have a con- an audio convoy. Is that our oldest movie reference in a good while, Matt? Even if it's not the oldest by date, it's definitely the oldest in spirit. Because <laughs> that's a movie based around CB radios and the idea that certain types of regional beer are unavailable elsewhere. So, yeah, I think that's the oldest movie reference yeah. I could make. <laughs> but speaking of, of references, speaking of, of achievements, much like the cinematic achievement of the Oscar award winning, I assume, I haven't checked, uh, Smoking the Bandit, much like the... <laughs> Achievement of getting four computers to record audio at once, which is more of an achievement than you may think, dear listener. I have to declare an excellence in legalism emergency. Oh, oh. oh. wow. Now, as folks who listen to the show are probably aware, um, we, 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 we make fun of the legalism. Some of us grew up in environments where we got uh, a very Bane-style uh, education <laughs> in the legalism. Bathed <laughs> and informed us. You merely adopted it, et cetera, et cetera. But occasionally somebody drops one that's so impressive in its reach and its scope that you just have to stand up and give some recognition for a master at work. And I was recently alerted to uh, an account on the TikTok that's gone mega viral, has been on you know, the Today Show and stuff. And this gentleman and his, uh, I think it's 13 or 14-year-old pug named Noodle. And this gentleman... Uh, Every day on this account, goes to the beginning of the day to Noodle's dog bed and lifts him up and places him on his four legs. And if Noodle remains standing, he declares that a, quote, bones day. Mm. And if Noodle collapses over back into sweet slumber, it is a no bones day. And, you know, some, some people on the, on the internets have taken this as a, an omen for how the day is going to go. Right. It sounds adorable so far. Doesn't it just... Senior dog, you know, people are in, very, in a very tongue-in-cheek way. But you get people, you know, making a little motivational video about how it's a Bones Day. I'm going to ask for a raise or whatever because, you know. Yeah. And we're all looking for a little, uh, a little positivity in the pandemic here. Yeah. And then there's a TikTok user who I checked to make sure they weren't just like, you know, some person with three followers before we are going to make fun of them. They have like 26,000 followers on this app. Um. Decided to declare that not only was this evil, mm. and that's, you know, that's legalism's bit. That's, we haven't gotten anything yet. It's, it's evil because it's divination. They accuse this dog of engaging in witchcraft. Wow. Okay, so to observe, you know, or engage in it being a Bones Day or not a Bones Day... And Bones is super cute, BT dubs, but to engage in, you know, whether it's a Bones Bones Day or not, is to engage in witchcraft and therefore Luciferianism. Pug witch! (laughs) And it's just one of those things of you go to see, you know, whatever it is, uh, a concert by 
an artist who isn't a genre that you necessarily enjoy and your friend brought you in the tickets, but there's lights and it's a thing and you go, well, it's not my, it's not my deal, but this is clearly very impressive. (laughs) I, I, I think the thing here is, uh, there's just a certain type of person that sees everybody having fun and just cannot have any of that going on. Mm. And, uh, you know, thank goodness someone is coming up with the most insane version of legalism to stop the fun from happening. <laughs> well, I think to, to me, that's the thing that is outstanding about this. And in the way that, you know, obviously we all would prefer a world without legalism. Where these people just calm down and didn't do this. But in the meantime, I'm willing to settle for crazy and interesting legalism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you know, you got, oh, this celebrity pastor wrote a thing about how um, where role play is technically cheating on your spouse, and this guy thinks that this person, type of person, shouldn't be allowed to vote or whatever. And that's all, it's all depressing, it's all old hat, it's all, somebody on the internet screaming about how a dog is a witch. Right. <laughs> now that's something. Yeah. I would like to see how many of the response videos are themed along the lines of, how do we know that the pug is a witch? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's I, the the response videos I saw, which is where I first came across this. I believe the the first one I saw was a woman who just said, "Who had the evangelicals declaring that pugs were doing witchcraft on TikTok on the bingo card?" <laughs> <laughs> that one's a little out there, but I feel like this is a, a rich vein. And again, if we're going to steer our legalistic friends, can we steer them more towards pug, pug witchcraft and less towards like, I don't like critical race theory. I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. Because <laughs> one of these is, you know, cheeky and entertaining, and one of them is horrible. Well, there's another problem with this I think we need to explore. You know, I was, I was actually doing a, a speaking gig in a church, and a Mother brought her small child up after the service and said that the child, I say small, it was maybe eight, eight seven or eight years old. Uh, the child had a theological question, which was, do pets go to heaven? And my reply was, dogs yes, cats no. Now, <laughs> here's my reason why. is because dogs are loyal and wonderful and adorable. Cats are basically, you know, I don't want to say like in league with the devil, but there's definitely an obvious evil thing happening there. Well, let me ask you this, Glenn. I mean, we've, we're looking at, you know, uh, which animals go to heaven, and, and I think it's fair to say that dogs would, but what about dog sorcerers? Hmm. <laughs> well, see, that, yeah, that's my whole question is, you know, you're accusing a dog of sorcery, but... Are you even looking at cats at all? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it's just kind of taken that all that taken is read that cats are into the occult. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to go straight to dog witchcraft, <laughs> it's like this. We got to speak up on this matter, you know, that kind of a thing. But you know, to skip over cats and just ignore what's going on there—that's uh, a tragedy to me. I also like the idea of. The guy that runs the 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 account with the with the pug named Noodle to just go ahead and and put the 
like the sorcerer's robes on the back of the dog, put a yep. wand yes. in his mouth, and yes. just let everybody, you know, just let everybody just, uh, you know, awe over how adorable it is. And then that right there could calm down the look at his little wand in his mouth. <laughs> well, here's a question. I think there may be a market opportunity here. I mean, we all know about the Lego movies, right? Like Lego right. Star Wars. And it's it's a Star Wars story, but it's it's told using you know Lego characters. Could we have a shot for shot remake of the Harry Potter movies, but starring entirely dogs? Wow. Whoa. Because, you know, there were a lot, there was a golden age of adorable voiceover dog movies. I'm talking, yeah. you know, you know, Air Bud and you know, these kind of things. Yeah. I'm saying, bring it back. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, all dogs with celebrity voicings. Harry yes. Potter and the Sorcerer's Bone? Oh! Mm, nicely done. Copyright, copyright, TM, say that enterprises. Don't even think about it, Rowling. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, I think that's an amazing idea. The other move on that is in kind of embracing the darkness, doing really harsh, disturbing slasher style movies, but doing shot for shot remakes with adorable dogs. <laughs> right. Like do the dog exorcist. <laughs> kind of the Texas chainsaw massacre, but it's all dachshunds, this kind of thing. <laughs> Because you'd think that it being adorable dogs would make put people at ease and not have them search the weirdness, but apparently not. Right. <laughs> no, apparently not. Apparently we're going straight to dog witchcraft. That's the main thing we want to cover and make sure people understand about is like, because you know what it is. Dog witchcraft is like a gateway drug to other evils. So you have Absolutely. to think about that, you know. Well, I do think there's another opportunity here that I'm pretty excited about, which is legalism one-upmanship. So I think most of us have seen, you know, even pictures of, some of us have seen them in person, but, you know, the guy with the sandwich board that is listing the many sins that he yeah. is he is right. against. And, right, right, right. you know, you, you've got your, your obvious stuff like murder, but, like, you know, it gets pretty out there. Like, you know, he's equating murder and yoga, for example. And now... <laughs> right. Now that I know about dog sorcery, the next time I'm around one of the sandwich board guys, I want to ask them, why are you leaving the, the sin of dog sorcery off of your sandwich board? Yeah. Don't you know that's going, do you not even care? Are you yeah. so hung up on these sins that you don't even care about dog sorcery, bro? Like, I, I think this kind of challenge and one-upmanship, I think this is a whole new era in combative legalism. Does that mean that we have to, like, like if you're a... You know, if you care about missions, that you got to go, like, preach the word at dog parks and stuff like that <laughs> to all the, all the attending, you know, uh, canines and just really, really get after it. I think it's a great idea because, you know, take people who don't know anything about doing ministry and in their first kind of as a training exercise, yeah, witnessing to dogs because you got to <laughs> use a positive tone of voice. You have right. to be engaging. You have wow. to keep it short. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Bring treats. That's yeah. right. People respond well to snacks. Yeah. These are all valuable lessons. Look, you fellas laugh, but dog witchcraft is a slippery slope to squirrel sorcery. <laughs> and then from there, it leads to panda Satanism. <laughs> so, you know, that's, you, you, you know, you have to understand it. it 
it just that's how people get you started and then you're going down the rabbit hole and by rabbit hole i mean you know a satanic rabbit <laughs> i feel like pandas is an inspired choice there because in my mind they're just way too lazy for satanism sure right. like there's too many you know robes and you got to walk around a thing in the blood and there's like eh, it seems like a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> But this this does drive to the, the point I want to land on, which I think we as a as a podcast, we can spearhead this, we can get this going larger community. Let us push people towards incredibly niche legalism. Yes. Mm, oh yes. Yeah. Don't want to hear about your thoughts about gay people. Don't want to hear about your thoughts about the ec- economics. It's all been done. Incredibly niche legalism. Yeah. I love it. Pug witchcraft, squirrel sorcery, uh, you know. What did you, did you take that German car and put Yokohama tires on it? That's essentially mixing fibers, which Deuteronomy forbids. Yes. These kind of things. <laughs> yes. I think that's just the way to go. One I want to try out, because I literally live like a block and a half from a dog park, is I want to start going and telling people that they need to watch the pattern that their dog runs in. Oh, because wow. their dog... Oh could be tracing a pentagram on the ground of the dog park as a way of summoning Satan. Yeah, for sure. And if you have legalistic thoughts, as we all do sometimes, please express them in that kind of insane, easily ignored (laughs) way. (laughs) And not a way that's going to make anybody's life worth. If we can take one thing from this lesson, and on that, we will declare emergency off. But, you know, stay vigilant because Pug Witchcraft remains apparently very much on. And we, uh, we do not do any kind of our own uh, divination. We don't do uh, summoning. We, uh, to the best of our knowledge, there have never been any secret numerological nor satanic summoning codes in anything we've put out. But that's only to the best of our knowledge. The next issue of Bridgebox might be the one. And don't you want to be on the inside if we accidentally open a portal to the underworld? <laughs> The, that is uh, a very interesting pitch for Bridgebox. <laughs> just trying things here. Uh, so we can't guarantee that'll happen. We can guarantee you you'll get some great stuff in your inbox first every month. Uh, sermons, songs, Bible studies, devotionals, that all that kind of good stuff. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. And you can also join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time. Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago for The Bridge Live. If you can't be with us on Tuesday night in Chicago, and we wish you all could, but if you can't, it is definitely the next best thing. If you can't catch it live, they are all archived over there at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. I'm going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I had an argument at my job recently. A coworker didn't do it. They said they were going to. I didn't snap on my coworker, even though I really wanted to, because their behavior might mess with my job and the reputation of my company. I know God doesn't want me to judge or be aggressive, but I don't know how to deal with this. And a, a very cool question. And Glenn, where do we start off with this? Well, I think we need to start off by looking at this idea of someone holding back your success. I think that's that's where the emotions are on this, and I think it needs to be interrogated a bit. You know, what what actually does your success hinge on? Is it, uh, you know, all sorts of hard work that you put into things? Uh, does your success hinge on people not holding you back, as it appears to be happening in the situation? Uh, or 
is your does your success hinge on the blessing of God Himself? Uh, if we look at Scripture pretty carefully, it's suggesting the race doesn't always go to the swift. It's it's saying that God, you know, gives success to people as His will allows. You know, I could do everything right in my company, but the company can shut down for reasons completely unrelated to me, and I'm out of a job. So I, you know, I've done everything right, but still I don't have that success. So many times success is, you know, deals with factors beyond our control, things we don't have any, any control over at all. So this idea that success is something I do or that other people could withhold from me, I don't think that really holds up theologically. It feels true, looks true in the moment, but long-term, big picture, that's not quite how things work out. And that also sets up another theological problem that we're dealing with here, is I think all of us have a time in our lives where we hear a voice in our head that says, these people are holding you back. These people are jealous of you. These people don't want to see you come up. These people are prejudiced against you, whatever those things are. Uh, the, you know, they see that you are, are good at this and they are threatened by that or whatever have you. Now, here's the problem with that voice, uh, is that often enough it's true to some extent or another. But the devil comes along and sets up a premise, but he has you finish the sentence. It really works well when he hands you a premise and you finish the rest of it. So his premise is these people are holding you back, therefore, dot, dot, dot. And you are sitting there thinking, well, therefore, I need to take matters into my own hands. Or therefore, I need to... to to be angry, therefore I need to, uh, you know, be, um, uh, see myself as a victim, therefore I need, whatever, whatever comes downstream of that is not going to be healthy, it's not going to be, you know, from God's perspective, and it's really going to be hard for us to get out from underneath that because we told that to ourselves, the devil just sold us on the premise, we finished that, uh, you know, made a conclusion out of that, and it's hard to undo our own thoughts on those kinds of things. So let's start with, are these people holding you back? That's the original thing that the devil, you know, was saying to you. And again, there may be a lot of truth to that, but ultimately, if God wants you to succeed, can these people at all hold you back? And the answer to that is no. Um, I think... Final quick point on this, I think there's a temptation to think I need to guard my reputation, which is good and right and important, but part of that is also recognizing there are times where people will make you look bad, and the way that you handle that has says a lot more about the situation than you getting it right in the first place. And uh, God will give us that favor and, and that positive view in other people's eyes. Absolutely right. And Jed, where would we take that from there? Well, let's look at a couple of practical things here. Uh, th the first is navigating stuff in the workplace. The details really, really matter. Uh, so there are, I cannot give you one size fits all advice on how to handle the practical 
nature of your situation because that doesn't exist. It, the, the details really super matter if we're going to deal with, practically speaking, how do we respond. So let me try and give you some, some hopefully useful principles that, again, you will for sure need to adapt to your situation. The first is, are you being blamed? Like somebody did a bad job. Somebody didn't hold up their end of, of the deal. I don't know what kind of work you're in, but you know, somebody did a bad job. Are you being blamed for that? If you're being blamed for that, the first step that if it were me that I would do is go talk to your boss privately. Um, sit down between the two of you and explain the situation from your point of view. If you're not being blamed for it, I wouldn't worry too much about it. If, if you're not in a, a senior role in most companies, it's not really on you to make sure that, that everything goes smoothly. And um, people are probably not expecting that you would do that. And unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, and again, you know, the details matter, the, the kind of industry you're in really matters. But there's plenty of places where you trying to take on a level of oversight that isn't really part of your job actually can make things worse. Um, so if it's not really something that affects you and you're not being blamed for it, I'd encourage you to, to think about just letting it go. If you, the next question is, are you in a supervisory role to the person who did the screw up, the person who was supposed to do a thing and, and they didn't, if you're in a supervisory role to them, then you will need to talk with them, but I would strongly encourage you to do that privately. I'd strongly encourage you to do that very calmly. Also, I would encourage you, again, if you if you are literally in a supervisory role in terms of like the org chart, to talk to HR first and get some guidance about left and right limits on that, what to say and what not to say, and then within the boundaries of what they tell you calmly and privately. But again, if you're not being blamed and you are not in a supervisory role to this person, in most cases, I'd encourage you to let it go. Um, I think what you're going to find in most places that you work is there's a lot of people who are pretty bad at their jobs, and then there's a lot of people who don't care about their jobs. And I think that if you let that mess with you, you're going to find it really hard to feel much peace basically anywhere you work. Because um, there, there's not a lot of people out there that are um, super talented at what they do and trying to you know do their level best every day. That, that's just not true. So I think learning to let it go when – you know, other people are not doing great stuff, but it doesn't really have anything to you, I think is an important skill. I'll give you two other thoughts to go with that, just, you know, stuff to consider for, for later on. The first is to differentiate between isolated incidents and patterns. Um, if somebody, if you schedule a meeting and somebody is 10 minutes late for it, I mean, that's not great. And, and no one could blame you for being mildly frustrated on that, but things come up. People get stuck in traffic. Uh, they spill coffee on their pants. You know, I mean, a million things happen that can make somebody late and they don't mean anything by it. When it becomes an issue is when they're always 15 minutes late for every meeting. Now, now we have a pattern. That's, that's a different thing. So again, when you're trying to figure out what's up with people, we want to pay attention to patterns. It's, it's not that isolated incidents don't matter, but they are different and how we deal with them is different than when we're looking at a pattern of behavior over time. The other thing that I want to encourage you to, to think about, so one of the least understood uh, exhortations from Jesus is be as innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. Um, when you have a job, these people are not your family, and they are not your friends, and this is not your community. Yeah. It's a job, 
at least in the United States, in almost every state in the country, they can let you go whenever they want to for no reason. And if they think that they will make more money by doing that, they will definitely do that. Um, is you know, I I, I don't want to you know harsh your buzz, but these aren't your friends. They aren't your family. This is not your community. You need to build that elsewhere. And so here's the thing that really matters. This is a paraphrase of a line from Maya Angelou. When people tell you who they are, believe them. If somebody in your workplace makes it clear, I'm not to be trusted, I'm not to be relied on, I will definitely walk over your neck if it conveniences me. Believe them. I think that Christians feel an obligation to see the best in other people, and from a certain standpoint, that's a good idea. But in terms of planning the strategy of how you deal with coworkers, when people tell you who they are, believe them. If someone is giving you a clear indication of, I'm not going to do a good job, and I don't mind if that makes you look bad in the process, bear that in mind in the way that you make decisions moving forward. You can get to a place where you can both be wise in how you deal with stuff at work, but also safe in how you deal with stuff at work, and you have peace in that process, and that peace is really the thing that we want for you. Absolutely right. And Lee, I'd love to get your pickers up there, because I think exactly as both these guys are talking about and as Jed left us with there. Having a real hard think about what you want to come out of this situation and what your position allows to come out of the situation is important, right? It is. I, I mean, I completely agree with, with where these guys have, have taken this response. And I think it's a, I think one thing that happens to us a lot of times, though, is that we do get kind of blindsided by these conversations. Um, even if even if we decide we're going to let it go, all of a sudden we can find ourselves in the middle of an argument, as, as you kind of stated in, in the original question. You know, I got into an argument at work the other day. Um, you know, this happened, and all of a sudden I, I found myself in this difficult conversation. I think in a lot of situations where, um, especially coming right off that last thing that Jed said, when, when somebody shows you who they are in your workplace and you realize this is a person not to be trusted and stuff like that, and you see with them a pattern of behavior where that, that is an unsafe person or that's a person that is um, going to hinder your relationship with your, with your work or your company or your reputation or anything like that. When you notice those things, it's a good idea not to just, you know, like, not to just give everybody the benefit of the doubt and assume everybody's on everybody else's team and on everybody else's side it's helpful to actually kind of put some work into if I find myself in a difficult conversation, what is my goal? Um, these are things that people don't think about enough, which is I don't want to go blind into a difficult conversation. I don't want, to, because what, what will typically happen, and, and I know this is true with me, that if I'm not prepared, that conversation is going to be completely fueled by emotion. And what we want to do is we want to be able to have conversations like that that are goal-driven. Um, where I, I, I stay focused on the thing that matters. I decide beforehand, if I find myself in a difficult or conflict conversation with this person, what do I hope to achieve? What do I hope can actually happen in this conversation? And then decide what I'm going to f deal with in the conversation or not deal with in the conversation by asking the question, what will or what won't serve that goal? A lot of times we just find ourselves in these conversations. We have no preparation. We have no ability to understand what is, you know, which way is up, what, what, what should be dealt with, and, and we just get upset. And once we get upset, especially if it, if it feels like I have to defend myself or I have to defend my reputation or whatever it is, 
Um, one of the things that can be extremely helpful in a situation like this, if you're going to do that kind of preparation work, is to go ahead and have some version of that conversation with someone that's neutral, somebody that's just a friend or somebody that's a trusted confidant and just say, okay, I'm just going to pretend that you're this person that I'm having this problem with. And I'm going to say everything I'm thinking and just go ahead and kind of vent on that. Just vent the whole thing out, just get it all out. And then you can decide like, okay, this was not helpful. That thing will most certainly get me reported or this thing will definitely, you know, up the, up the temperature or the tension in, in this relationship. And so all I'm saying is, I think these guys are exactly right. This is probably a situation that you just want to let go. That doesn't mean that some prep work ahead of time, some forethought on what if I find myself in a difficult conversation, that could still be a very, very good idea. And that the best way to do that is to think about what is my goal, what will serve that goal. Find a place to deal with a, a neutral place or a neutral way. Sometimes people will kind of write a letter um, you know, that I'm not going to send kind of deal. Um, uh, type something out that I'm not going to email. Um, that that kind of deal, so that you can get, you can kind of just get through and process some of the more raw emotions of the situation, so that if you find yourself in in that difficult conversation or in that argument again, even if you didn't want to be, that you are prepared to have that. Um, think about it, work on it, do the do the work, so that you can go into that conversation exactly as Jed said, with a cool head, um, with with an idea of what is it that we want to do here. Absolutely right. I think that that's all fantastic stuff. One incredibly practical tip. Um, if you're going to do the, the email version, I'm writing an angry letter. I'm not going to send. Do not do that in your email client. Do that in a word doc. Do not, uh, do not tempt fate in that way. Uh, but I, I totally agree with all the guys, these guys said, and it is something worth looking at and all of them kind of push towards it and, mentioned something in this vein. Is this your business? But in a literal, I guess in a pretty literal sense in this case, but I think we, we at the bridge have dealt with, we deal with a lot with guys who, who come out of jail or they come out of addiction and they are hard workers. We do not have a lot of lazy people at the bridge. They are, they want to work 12 hour shifts. They want to go at it. They want to carry stuff. If the forklift is broken, they'll just start carrying it one by one. That, that kind of situation. And there's this idea a lot of people get that it is, if you are the hardest working person, it is inherent on you to hold other people accountable because, you know, this is important and the company is going to succeed and all that. And if you get paid the same hourly wage, whether your coworkers do what they do or not, eh, sometimes it's just fine to let stuff go. Um, as these guys are pointing out, if it's something that directly affects you, you know, Johnson said they'd have this report to me and I, and I didn't, then there's, that's, that's important. There's probably a process at your job for whether that's going to a manager or going through HR with the, the paper trail. That's, that's good. But if it's not your job to hold other people accountable for, uh, for the work they do, then you probably don't want to make that your job. You don't want to get caught in the, uh, Jed and I were actually, uh, referencing the movie office space over today. Yeah. You don't actually, you don't actually have to ask yourself, is it good? For the company. Yeah. If you get paid the same either way, uh, there's a very real uh, keeping your eyes on your own paper, which for some people who have a certain type of personality, who are high achieving, who are really motivated, is not doesn't come natural. They want to do well. They want to ex- 
excel and they want the people around them to excel. And if that's a thing that is coming out in you, that's a really good instinct. That's a good thing. But there are healthier ways to channel that, like what these guys talked about. We're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, I feel like I let fear have a lot of influence on my decision-making, and it limits me in a lot of ways. How can God help me with my fear? And a, another excellent question. And Jed, where will we start off with this one? I'm sorry that you're dealing with that, and we are glad that you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out how to move forward. We've got your back. We're, we're praying for you. So let's start here. You're afraid that something bad's going to happen. You're afraid that things are going to go wrong. And I think what we need to begin with, there's an admission, and that is things are definitely going to go wrong, and bad things are definitely going to happen. Whether you're afraid of them or not, things are definitely going to go wrong, and bad things are definitely going to happen. I think one of the questions we need to examine is, is your fear driving you to anything practical that might make that better? Uh, Because if it's not, then it really is just pure kind of emotional unpleasantness. I think what we, in order to get in a practical direction, we want to start doing what people uh, in a lot of fields call a risk assessment. And you can get pretty complicated with that, but it begins with two core questions. You've got a thing that you're concerned about, a bad thing that could happen, a, a thing that could go wrong. The first question is, what's the likelihood of this thing going wrong? What are the odds of this thing going wrong? Because if the odds are one in a trillion, bro, don't worry about that. We got much bigger fish to fry. Mm -hmm. If the odds are one in two, well, we probably want to think this through. So we, we actually do need to begin with what are the odds of this thing going wrong? There are almost no things in life that have a 0% chance of happening and almost no things in life that have a 100% chance of happening. Almost all things have some variability. But then the second question is, if it goes wrong, if that happens, what's the realistic impact of this bad thing? What's the realistic impact of this thing going wrong? Because our emotions don't often give us a good sense of what bad impacts are going to do in our life or in our situation. Our, our emotions just tell us there's a problem. I mean, if you think about kind of, you know, your lizard brain and it tells you that tree branch, it could be a snake. Look out. Well, here's the interesting thing. Some snake bites will almost certainly kill you and some snake bites won't do hardly anything to you. So we do need to have a sense of how bad is it going to be if I get bit by that snake. So for you, that's looking at, and that's actually walking through in a non-emotional way, what are the impacts? What would actually happen to me in my life, in my situation, if this bad thing did occur? If we've got both of those pieces of information, if we've got the percent odds of it happening, the likelihood of it going wrong, and then a sense of the realistic impact of it going wrong, we're going to have a much, much better sense of how concerned we do or don't need to be about this and what degree of preparation we need to make. If we've got a, a situation that very possibly could happen and would really cause major problems, then we should be looking at how do we, how do we lessen the bad stuff? If it happens, how do, how do we take that down a notch? If we're dealing with something that almost certainly would never happen, then we, we probably don't need to worry about it all that much. And as a, a way to think pretty easily about all of this, there's plenty of stuff in life that almost certainly will happen, in which case the question is, given that this will go wrong, 
how do we reduce the impact, right? Small example, uh, any home that you live in, at some point in the next year, your power is going to go out for a few minutes, almost certainly. It's, uh, being upset about it is, is not worth doing because you're almost certainly going to lose power for a few minutes in the next year. But if you buy a flashlight, you will dramatically reduce the impact of what's going to happen. Because you can pull out the flashlight and now you can see. We've done a risk assessment and we've come up with a plan to mitigate the impact. We've done it. It's amazing. And when you do that, now you start to feel empowered. And it's a lot easier to deal with that fear because you have a sense of what you're looking at. You have a sense of the impact. You have a sense of how to lessen the impact, how to plan proactively. This is good stuff. It's responsible stuff. Pretending that bad things aren't going to happen is actually not a responsible way to live. Looking at them, thinking them through, planning for them, that's good stuff. It's responsible. One more thing. I want to encourage you to start giving some airtime into your head to this question. What if it went really, really right? Mm. You spend a lot of time and a lot of energy on, oh man, what if this situation went really, really bad? And again, there's a version of that that is actually responsible to look at. But I want to encourage you to start examining, what if it went really, really right? Am I prepared for that? If this went just gangbusters and all my dreams came true in the context of this situation that I'm looking at, would I know what to do with that? Am I ready for that? Do I, do I have a sense of how I would approach that? Some things in your life are going to go wrong and you need to be ready. Some things in your life are going to go right and you also need to be ready. Spending some time thinking about what if it went really, really right and how would I want to deal with that? That's responsible too and it's way more fun than thinking only about the downside and the bad side. We want you to be ready. We want you to be responsible. But we also want you to have fun and be ready for the good stuff too. That's an excellent point. I think a great place to transition that. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because I think one of the things Jed is pointing to with the idea of risk assessments and, you know, gradiating these things is that fear is a perfectly natural response. It is a thing that has a role in life. We all feel it. It, it, it has a role in decision-making. Um, I think sometimes in Christian circles, we get a little too, uh, you know, do not fear and you have nothing to fear. And that really downplays how we need to process fear when we actually encounter it, which we inevitably do. How does putting, how does perspective work into the way we address the fears in our life? It's a really great question. I mean, exactly as you're saying, fear is a completely natural thing. And, and from God's perspective, you're not bad or in trouble if you become afraid about things. It, it makes a lot of sense, uh, especially in, in so many situations that you would be afraid. And I think that what God would want, the way that he would want to help is that he would want to put that fear in perspective. There's like, you know, Jed used the, the uh, illustration earlier of like a tree branch looking like a snake, or if you're a little kid and you see, uh, you know, some piece of furniture in a dark house and you think that it's, there's an intruder in the house, uh, it just looks like the shape of a person. Um, if you turned on the light, then you realized, okay, well that thing that I felt afraid about, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was. And I think that what God would like to do through his word, through your past experiences, through other the stories of other people that you know, who know him and have a relationship with him, is that he would want to put the things that you're afraid of in perspective. Um, it's not that you're bad for being afraid. And there's a lot, like Jed said in the beginning of his response, things will go bad in your life and you will 
uh, you will encounter difficult and trying situations and, and things will go completely sideways and be awful sometimes. What we want to do is put those things in perspective with like God's promises with um, like, for instance, um, there's certain things that I, that for me would be really, really scary situations that immediately become not scary if I'm not the only person there. So that's a, that's just a really interesting thing of like this situation. If, if I'm the only person in this situation, I'm afraid if anybody else is with me, especially somebody that, that, that I'm close to, I'm all of a sudden not afraid. Or if I'm in a situation that I don't know how to handle, but then if I'm with somebody who absolutely knows how to handle that situation, now I'm not afraid. And so that's one of the cool things that when you look at the promises of God, that he would say, I'm, it makes sense that you're afraid of this. Now, let me put this in a, in a broader context with you. Um, like, for one thing, you are never going to face any of the things that you're going through alone. Um, one of the things that I would have, uh, you, you always have him with you. You always have his actual promise of his presence, his, his spirit helping you out, being there with you. Um, so you're not alone. There's things like, you know, when something goes really, really sideways, um, a natural a fear, that, a fear that occurs to me is, this is the way it all ends, and this is the way life is going to be now from the rest, uh, from here into eternity. And one of the promises of God is, whatever the struggle that you're in right now, this is not the end of your story. That there's a whole lot more stuff that God is up to, and he is... He is redeeming things. He's restoring things. Your story is not over yet. This is, this is not the end of it. So I think that he would want to put your fear in the perspective of certain promises of his. And I think he would also want you to look backward. Um, he would want you to look backward over times in your life when you were afraid of something and, and you got through it. Um, you met a challenge. You fought through a difficult situation. You came out on the other side. What, you know, by his help, through the help of friends and things like that. All that to say, there are scary things in your life. And then when we look at the, the promises of God, the promises of Scripture, and the things that he's even done in your life, God would want you to look at those things and say, it makes sense that, you, that your natural reaction would be to be afraid of this. Now I want you to put my promises, inject those things into this situation, and... and and let's see where what happens to that fear. You're not alone. This is not the end of your story. I know what I'm doing in a broader in a broader sense. Think about other situations like this that you've been through before. It's not that this is not difficult. It's not that this is not a situation of suffering or anything like that. It's but it is not as scary as it first feels. Um it's just kind of the situation of turning on the light and realizing that that scary figure in, that I was afraid of in the dark isn't exactly the same. Isn't exactly the thing that I thought it was when I have the the broader context of of who God is, um, what He has promised, and what He'll do in my life. That's all fantastic stuff. And Glenn, where would we close out this discussion of fear as it relates to decision making? Well, uh, I you've heard a lot of really good wisdom uh, on this, and uh, I I. I just could fill in a few small gaps in it, but I think they've really covered it very well. And I will say, too, that um, in my conversations with pastors, uh, sort of the impact of COVID uh, and sort of the downstream effects of that have led to kind of more 
fearful thinking in certain sorts of ways. It kind of crops up in sort of odd little worries that kind of peek out from underneath and sort of hypochondriacal thinking here and there. So I think uh, I, I think it's one of those things where sometimes there's a big obvious stressor. We put up our guard against that, but then it sort of creeps in in other little ways. And I, I think that may be paying a part in what you're dealing with now, just in terms of the timeliness of this. Uh, but I think ultimately it's important to recognize that fear makes us less safe, period. Uh, fear just on its own, if we don't do any of the stuff that these fellows are talking about with it, uh, fear will get us uh, making irrational decisions, illogical decisions, uh, making uh, 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 decisions that ultimately will lead to problems and struggles down the line. So the fear is making us less safe, period. Uh, but it feels like it's making us safe. If I wasn't afraid, what would I be? Would I just, you know, not mind as everything goes wrong around me? That seems sort of impossible and, and, and not healthy. And you're right. If you, as, as Joe was pointing out, if you're just not having any fear about something, you're probably looking at denial. Uh, that's a different animal. And we don't want you to get in denial either. We want you to face what you're dealing with head on. And that's courage. So if you go to a courageous person and say, you're a very courageous person, they'd say, no, I feel fear all the time. Uh, but the, the reality is if you engage with those fears, you, you are going to feel them. You're going to experience it. You're going to wrestle with them. You're going to, you know, the, get them under control and get them under your submission. So it feels like you're sort of experiencing the fear on a deeper level. Uh, but the reality is if you overcome that fear, now you're in a position of being courageous. And I don't think there's enough talk in our culture, certainly not enough talk in our churches about courage and what it means and it really exhorting people towards courage. Uh, because again, I think courageous people don't feel like they're courageous uh, because they're dealing with that fear. And uh, fearful people just feel as though they have no alternative. I can't be blasé about this. Uh, so we have to kind of fight our way out of that corner. Uh, and also, as Jez pointing out, you know, wise precaution is different from making decisions in fear. That's a very different thing. Being concerned about things, that's different from operating in fear. Uh, if, if we, uh, everything that Joe was talking about is sort of pre-planning and, and being, thinking a couple of moves ahead, you know, that might look to somebody else like, oh, you're being paranoid about this or that, what have you. But I, you know, I think it's good to look at what could go wrong, what could happen. Let's, you know, as Joe was pointing out, let's put some, get this, get some, a flashlight, put some good batteries in there, that whole thing. Uh, being prepared for, you know, weather problems, any of those things. But the, the whole goal of that is so that we are not in a fear mindset at all. We're already prepared. We're already covered so we can let all those fears go. So, yeah, yes, have those wise precautions. I totally believe in that. Have have a good level of concern about things that could go wrong. Uh, be Be planned and prepared for those things. But we do that in order to set those fears aside. If you're struggling with that, then I think that's when you need to get with a mentor or a pastor or someone who can give you uh, some good feedback on that. 
uh, so you can get that courage working and be in a position of overcoming all of that. That's all great stuff from each of these guys. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I want to be an encouraging person, but I feel like just complimenting people can come off a bit weird and even arrogant. Like, I know you're wondering what I think, so you're welcome. How do I get better at encouraging people without making it weird? And a very, very cool question. And Lee, where do we kick this off? Well, I love the question, and I just... I want to go on the record saying I actually don't think it's I don't think it's weird at all. I don't think there is enough encouragement in the world and and uh and I am very very thankful for people who are intentionally encouraging uh to me in my life. And so if if you want to kick it off and you want to just send me a, a nice text message, I'd be happy to receive that. But I I uh I think if you pay attention to the unique thing that somebody brings into the world and tell them that you see it. Um, you know, I think that's a really, really cool and important thing that happens in the world. And, and understand that's a different deal than kind of just flattery, just kind of like shotgun blast, you know, flattering somebody about something. But when you really, um, you take time to think about what somebody, who someone is and the, and the thing that they bring to the table that's different than, than other folks, again, that unique thing and you build them up about that, that is a really, really big deal. Um, I will say I've definitely spent time in different, um, you know, different circles, whether that be like, um, you know, uh, work environments or, you know, sports teams or uh, even ministry environments and stuff like that where different organizations where there is not a culture of encouragement. And um, that can be a bleak place to be, actually. And sometimes places like that, they usually just value gifted people. And, um, and if you're not just naturally amazing and gifted, then you're not going to get any kind of, you're not going to get a lot of positive feedback at all. You're going to get uh, critiqued a whole lot when you, when you don't deliver. Um, and that's a difficult place to operate. Um, and so, you know, I think if you find yourself in a situation like that, changing that culture can be awkward and weird because people don't know how to do it. Um, I, I personally think it's, an, it's a really, really big deal and a good thing. And I would also say this. I, this, is, this kind of seems like a, a little bit of a, of, a, of kind of a bird walk off of the question, but I actually think it's, it is right in line with, with, um, with what I want to say to you on this. And, and that is that I, I get quite a bit of questions from people who are you know, they look at their walk with Jesus, they look at their relationship with the Lord and they say, you know, I want to, I want to feel the reality of my relationship with Jesus more. I just don't, I, I don't experience a lot of, uh, of like, you know, kind of feedback from him. It feels like, you know, I, I go to church, I, I do the thing, I sing the songs or whatever it is. I, I try to, you know, read the scriptures or something like that, but I don't feel like, I don't feel like we're hanging out. I don't feel a lot of interaction from him. And I think uh, the, the topic that you're writing your question in, something like this is a great way to kind of build into the interactive nature of your relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by that is this. Specifically pray and ask the Lord to move the compass needle for you about who in your life he would like you to build up. Get like a teamwork thing going between you and the Lord where you're like, okay, I want to be an encouraging person. I want you to put somebody on my heart that needs a buildup. Um, bring to mind 
somebody that needs a boost and ask him to tell you this. And this is kind of the, this is kind of the second level of this. Ask him to tell you what he sees in that person. Ask the Lord to tell you, how do you see this person? What is the thing that, that you love about them? And then literally take the time to listen to what he puts on your heart about bring somebody to mind and put something on your heart and communicate it to that person. Write them a note, send them a text, give them a call, um, invite them out to coffee, whatever it is, and encourage them. Um, this, it could be just kind of a cool way for you to have some teamwork with the Lord, for you to feel a little bit more the reality of that relationship. But again, I think encouraging encouragement is something that is drastically needed in our world. Um, it's, you know, whatever social media landscape you kind of live on, you probably have noticed that is it is a giant cesspool of negativity. And so anybody that brings positivity, anybody that brings some encouragement, I mean, that is just such a breath of fresh air in our world. And and so I hope that you keep going for it because even if you feel weird about it, I promise you it's a big deal and we need a whole lot more of it. A great, great place to start this off. And Glenn, where do we take it from here? I could not agree more. Uh, there is so little of this kind of, you know, encouragement in our culture, in our churches. Uh, if, if you just, if you feel like you have no gifts or skills of any kind, and all you want to do is be an encourager, you're probably going to get more ministry done than most people <laughs> I know. Uh, and and maybe a big part of that is just it doesn't go on as as much as it should. I think the big reason for that is uh, sometimes we feel like we're competing with one another mm. uh, in our churches. And then, so to give a compliment is sort of like saying you win, uh, which is really terrible. So just go ahead and decide everybody else can win and you could just be humble. And that sounds a lot more Christian to me than trying to compete with everybody anyway. Um, but I love this question. I love it. This idea of it's actually kind of awkward in a way to give a compliment. I totally feel what you're talking about. Uh, people who know me, uh, know that I often feel like I, I can't, I don't know where this positive word comes in this conversation. So I'll just say, I'm going to make a speech now. And then I just, tell them all the good things I think about them. And then I say, that's my little speech. So that they know that it's over. Cause I, you know, it's just, you know, I think a lot of that positive talk may not really come up in conversation. The conversation may not turn itself to that. And you have to sort of insert it in a way that might feel a little unnatural in a certain kind of way, uh, or a little bit forced maybe. Uh, but, you know, I don't think we need to feel particularly self-conscious about it because the other person is hoping that you will do that. So, you know, let's let's give ourselves a bit of a break on that. And I, I'm pointing the finger at myself on that as well a little bit. But I think what people need a whole lot more of is sort of an orientation. Uh, a, a, people really are struggling to figure out how do other people see me? Uh, how, what do other people think of when they think of me? That's, I think that's a big mystery for most people on the planet. So if you just go up to somebody and say, you are a really courageous person, just going off the last 
question. You know, you're a really courageous person and I really admire your courage. And whenever I think of you, I think of that courage. And when I try to be courageous, I try to be like you, you are cool. That will absolutely transform that person's life in a way that's not going to last for a second the way a nice compliment might. Uh, that gives them a whole yeah. different way of seeing themselves, and then they know what they can do to help others as well. So you're you're creating a lot of uh, sort of a, a reverberation of that, you know, sort of a, a, a spreading waves of, of positive stuff off of that. So good feedback might be an even better thing to look at for you. That's a really good place to take that. And Jed, where would we close all this out? It's a great question. We're really glad that you're looking at it. Um, here's what I would encourage you to do. Start with encouragement that doesn't require words. If you feel like you don't have the words, that's cool. That's no problem. There's all kinds of encouragement where you don't need to say anything. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Go to their party. Your friend is going to throw a party. You don't particularly want to go. Go anyway. That's very encouraging. You have a friend who this season, they're going to be selling crafts on Etsy, and they're going to be talking about it on Facebook. Buy one of their crafts. No one else is going to. It's super encouraging for you to buy one of their crafts. Uh, you have a buddy who's in some kind of music ensemble. It could be a choir. It could be a band. It could be whatever. Go to their concert. It's not about whether you like the music or not. Support your friend. Go to their concert. They will yeah. feel encouraged by that. You've got another friend that's going to host a game night, um, and you don't particularly like games. Go anyway. You've got a friend who's going to run a 5K. Get up in the morning. Go cheer. You don't have to have words at all. You can just scream woo, the syllable, really, really loud as they cross the finish line. Believe me, people will feel encouraged if you do that. Similarly, online, share their post. They made a post that was them being smart. Just share it. Like, you don't, you don't have to add anything to it. You can just share it. You can, yeah. you can heart it and you can share it. Same thing, they made a tweet that was really cool. You can like it and you can retweet it. All of these things are things that you can do right now that people will find incredibly encouraging, and they don't require you to say anything. There are, there are no words involved at all. What you're communicating in each of these cases is two really, really key things, and um, they're really the heart of all encouragement. The first is... Um, I am for you. I see you and I am for you. I, I am on your side. And again, that's really the heart of almost any encouragement is the, the thought you're not in this life alone, at least in some small way. I see you and I am on your side. And again, getting up to be at the finish line on a Saturday morning for somebody else's 5K and screaming woo like I don't know if you could say encouraging words that would, say, that would communicate the idea of I'm on your side better than the physical action of you doing that. Right. But the, the other thing that those actions say is you can count on me. My being for you is not just a neat idea. I'm, I'm actually willing to put my money where my mouth is. I'm, I'm actually willing to, to live that out. Dude, there's nothing more encouraging than that. If you've got a person or people in your life that are on your side that you can count on, that's as encouraging as it gets. And here's the beautiful thing is you kind of can't screw that up. If you go to the 5K and you shout woo as they cross the finish line, man, you've done it. Like there, there's not a bad version of that. 
There, there is not really any scenario in which a person will finish their 5K and find you and say, you know, your cries of congratulations as I cross the finish line, I just didn't, I didn't buy it. I don't know. Like, why don't we, I'm going to run another 5K and you can try again. That is never, ever going to happen. You don't, you don't have to be worried about that. Now, in the spirit of not being worried about it, I can also tell you that if you made it your business to encourage with words every good thing that you saw, like you're like, just all day, every day, I'm just going to give an encouraging word every time I see an opportunity. Here's what you'd find. About one time in a hundred, somebody would be weird about it. That's about the ratio that yeah. you would find. And, and I can tell you that because I do that. I do that as much as I think I can possibly get away with. And I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty brash about it because it's an awful world and everyone's suffering and it's something small that I can do. Amen. And, dude. and the rate is about one in a hundred, about one in a hundred. This is literally a true story. I'm, I'm in an airport. I'm like, dude, that's a really cool watch, man. And this guy looks over at me. You, what, you, you probably just want me to compliment your watch. And then he looks down and my wrist is empty. He's like, you're not even wearing a watch. And I loved the idea that this dude just could not receive the idea that someone else enjoyed his watch and had no further agenda. That just, to this day, that's a delight. But the ratio that you would be looking at is about one in a hundred. That's honestly about what you're looking at. So what it means is you, you just don't need to worry about it. You, you can just start encouraging people. Here's the one other thing. I think that part of what you're looking for is wanting to be smooth, right? And I get that. We, we all, we've seen way too many movies where everything is perfectly scripted and there's this, you know, incredibly attractive person who knows the exact right things to say at all the right times with the right inflections and everything is just so. And we've got it in our brains that that's the standard of communication, First, I need to be supernaturally attractive, and then I need to know the exact right thing to say, and then I have to have the exact right moment to say it in. Anything less than that would be a failure. Dude, that's not true. You, you can be you, and you can say it imperfectly and not at the exact perfect time, and it'll still work. What will happen over time is you'll get better at it. You actually will get smoother, but that's way, way, way down the road, and it doesn't matter. People will not be more encouraged by really experienced cheering at the finish line of their 5K than by the first time that you do it. It, it, it actually will not really, really go deeper. You'll get smoother at it. You'll figure out how to, how to you know, cut some rough edges off it, but it's going to work from the get-go. Don't be afraid. If you feel like words just aren't your strong suit, that's cool. Start with stuff that doesn't require words. There's a huge list of that. And again, um, <laughs> we're happy to share my little list with you again. But dude... Be bold, be brave. It is worth it. People need it. They need to know that Amen. you are on their side. They need to know that you, they can count on you. You've got the heart to do it. Push through and do it. I need it. You need it. Get that done. Absolutely right. That is great stuff from all these guys. One thing I would tack on the end there, and this actually goes back to all the way back to something Glenn was saying about humility when it comes to uh, being encouraging and complimenting, because the thing you're mentioning in your question is a very real phenomenon. And we we've mused before on the show of, you know, all three of these guys have played a lot of music out and I, we've all done public speaking and stuff. And there's the person who wants to tell you that it was good and they want to encourage you. And there's the person who wants to tell you it was good kind of as a cover to get to talk about how much they know about this. <laughs> there's a difference yeah. between, wow, I really liked that song and that, I think I recognize that thing you played and I think it's from this very obscure album that I'd like to let you know that I'm aware of, or, uh, this happens a little bit more with, with pastors. Sometimes 
This is the weirdest compliment. Well, it's actually, it uh, encompasses a number of things. The weirdest compliments I've ever gotten on my preaching start with, I've heard a lot of preaching. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, like, did I don't, you don't need to credential yourself. Like if you thought it was good, that's good. That's good. That's what I'm going for. I don't, I don't need to see your CV. We're all good here. But the, the good news is as Jed is talking about being brazen, you can just totally counteract that. Yeah. You can go to, if your friend's doing triathlon, you can say, I don't know anything about triathlons, but you finished. That's amazing. Or you can go to their, their music gig and be like, well, I'm essentially tone deaf, but man, the room was rocking and that everybody just had a lot of fun. That's cool. You can just, Totally uncredential yourself. Yep. And here's the thing. Won't take anything out of the compliments. Right. Because these guys are pointing out, the compliment should be about the other person. So when, you, when people try to, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, do that thing of building themselves up, maybe they think it's because the compliment's going to mean more. If I tell you that I read your post online and I start leading, and I start that with every book I've ever read, so you know that I really know a lot about reading. <laughs> Isn't that very, very impressive? Uh, you can just keep it short, keep it simple, and keep yourself out of it would be some very good rules of thumb. If you don't know how to do that and you want to approach, take that first step into uh, doing encouragement with words after what these guys are talking about. And if you have a question, you can write to us at saythatpodcast at gmail.com, bridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that entirely anonymous. You can, of course, join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time or at your own convenience over at facebook.com slash bridgechicago for our video bridge cast of our bridge service we're gonna take out with a song this week we're talking about encouragement we're talking about lifting up we're gonna take out with a song from our sister program the bridge loud called love lifted me take out that thanks yeah. for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it to say that podcast we take the radical stand that we think your adorable pug tiktok video is a wonderful thing i was singing